and welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Friday, September 24th. Derek Van Rypert, you know, Saris, Britt Droli, if you are watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit that like button. That's how we're lined up left to right today. I think it's just the order in which people connected. I don't really put us in an order, and sometimes when I move you around on the screen, it gives people a headache, so I'm not going to do that. Let everyone stay exactly where they are right now. But on this episode... Stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, you know, stuck right in the middle (laughs) of the uh, Rates and Barrels sandwich today. (laughs) Must be Friday if I'm already singing. Oh, yeah. Early Friday. Yep. (laughs) Uh, We're going to join Jay Jaffe on Team Entropy and make our pleas for absolute chaos over the final 10 days of this season because chaos is fun. Uh, We are going to give some lessons in eating crow in the wake of Britt's very uh, on-point call about the St. Louis Cardinals, who are almost mathematically confirmed to be a playoff team now. And when we snickered at the very idea of that just a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, we, we thought we had the upper hand in, in getting that prediction right. So we are wrong and we will dig into why. We'll also take a look at the Padres, the 2022 version of the Padres. Who's coming back? What moves are they going to have to make? Obviously, some changes already taking place in that organization. And we'll probably get to Cardgate a little bit, too, just because that was a big story earlier this week. I'm glad it's faded. So it is appropriately uh, lower in the rundown for today, just to break the fourth wall there for a moment. But let's begin with our bid to join Team Entropy. You know, I know you uh, stayed up all night uh, designing some elaborate scenarios for how we could see Game 163s and maybe even a Game 164, which is just diabolical. Like I can't believe you went that far with this. No, <laughs> it's just it's actually pretty easy. Because the Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays are all uh, in a three-game sandwich. So if the Red Sox go four and five, the Yankees go six and three, and the Blue Jays go seven and two, they're all tied. They're all tied for the, <laughs> the two wildcard spots. So I don't think you solve that with one game. I don't think you can. I think you, think you need more than one game to break a three-way tie. And those are all really good teams. I would take the extra two games. I know it would be uh, of consternation for local media. (laughs) Every beat writer in America hates you right now. Even suggesting this kind of scenario. The players too, baby. (laughs) Have you guys ever covered a team that's wild card? That's a wild card helpful? I have never even covered a team. You know, you've never been a beat writer either, right? I have not really. But I, I mean, I... No. I, I'm located what? in a place where they've won the wild cards okay. and even gone all the way. Let me tell you, <laughs> not the same. Let me tell okay. you how how stressful it is yeah. covering a team that may make the wild card one, may make the wild card two, may not make the playoffs at all. Um, it becomes this all-consuming fact of your life where you're just not really sure. You have no idea where you're going. I remember mm. a few years ago... And it must have been a while ago because it was the Orioles in 2012 finished in New York. They had a, a three-city road trip to end the season and you weren't sure where they were going after that. So you had to pack for whatever climate. It might be Toronto. It might be Texas. Like, it might be nowhere. And I just remember, like, shoving all these random outfits into <laughs> into my suitcase and um, trying to get a, a last-minute flight to, um, I believe it was Toronto right? that year. And it, they had gone to Toronto already. And that's and so international. They went back to Toronto. You're, tra- you're trying to book oh, international travel, like random, like. And now add in some COVID action, where it's like, do I have my 
my negative tests and my you know, my Vax card yes. and and that's a regular 162. I can't imagine the 163, 164 because it's not a series, right? Those would be different teams. You're you're saying there's even a visa thing with Toronto, right? Because like I remember when I went there for pitch talks, they told me to say I was on vacation. Yes, yeah. There's a there's a definitely a something, and then. Also, the person who earns their money this time of year is the team travel secretary, yeah. right? Because I guarantee you they've got blocks for every scenario going. Um, they're able to quickly cancel. Um, they've got potential flights, everything so mapped out. This really is like the most hate hectic. games 163 and 164. Yes. <laughs> they absolutely probably hate you more than beat writers yeah. uh, because they just have so many people to figure out. And when you get into postseason, families want to go, right? It's not just the players. So it is just... Um, it's just, you know, an, an interesting look for people who may not realize what that kind of thing entails uh, when you get to these potential um, clinchers. I also wonder how well attended they are. I mean, you'd assume that they'd be really well attended because they're like a playoff game. But uh, they're so kind of, like you're saying, unplanned. Like you have none of that element of somebody living like an hour and a half out of the stadium and planning to be at the ballpark September 26th and like getting a hotel room or, or, you know, you know, getting a, a sitter or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like the, you have none of that. Yeah. It can only be people that have that day free and are really into it and don't, you know, don't care about any sort of COVID concerns. You know, <laughs> like I feel like they may not sell out. It'd be crazy to like have a game 164 and it may not sell out. Well, Toronto today added – Toronto only has 15,000 right now. Allowed. Did you guys see that they they allow mm. Right now they are hoping to get approval from the, the government there to allow more because if they host a wild card then game, only most of the advantage – yeah. yeah. Most of the advantage of a wild card game is to have the crowd into mm. it, right? It's also to not travel and stuff but to have the home crowd. And so I think Toronto is thinking and hoping that they can get – more people in the stadium if they do host it because I've been there. I've been there for playoff games because of the dome. It is so loud because the noise has nowhere to go. Yeah. So there really is like a, a home field advantage to some some regard. They announced that this morning. Yeah. Well, uh, best of luck to all of the teams involved. Uh, the way that the way that these things happen is always the bullpen, as I see it. Uh, you know, if the Red Sox do, uh, go three and six or, or four and five or whatever it needs, they need to do, it's, I would point at the bullpen, you know, I, I think that's maybe one of their biggest weaknesses at this point. I mean, yes, their starting rotation is amazing, but with Matt Barnes kind of falling apart, they're like looking to Darwin's and Hernandez, who has like no command, uh, to kind of be their guy. Um, and Chapman looks gettable this year, uh, you know, and Chad Green is tired. Because they rode him, uh, and Scott Proctor esque, um, and then uh, uh, the Blue Jays uh, just got some some new arms in, in Julian Merriweather coming up. Um, that could be a really big boost for them. So if it, if it's about bullpens, I think there could be that kind of shift where they all end up in a tie. Definitely possible. I think the more likely chaos comes in the form of something like. Braves Phillies having to play a game 163 to crown a winner of the NL East or Dodgers Giants playing it out to see who's the NL West winner and who ends up going to the wild card game. I think those are very likely scenarios. The the three team one that you put out there, you know, not as far out of reach as beat writers would hope that it is. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry, Britt, to all the beat writers out there and the, the traveling secretaries. Uh, but if their uh, chaos is, is my enjoyment, I feel and it's, it's not just me, you know, it's like a million people that are going to tune in and watch those games. 
Sorry, that's a small price to pay, I think, for us to uh, drink some beer on a Monday and watch a little extra baseball. The Dodgers-Giants oh, is actually projected to tie. <laughs> so wow. That's a fun thing. So I can't believe that Philly is still hanging around, but they keep winning those games where they're behind. Was this three times now they've won games where they're behind six or more runs? Um, they just kind of keep doing enough oh, to hang around. I mean, and, they're so obviously a worse team than the Braves. It's kind of painful to look at. Yeah. <laughs> they have a <laughs> minus four run differential, and the Braves have a hundred plus one hundred and fourteen, and they're separated. Oh my gosh, you're right. They're separated so, by yeah. two games right now. Here's yeah. the thing, though: like they've got the Pirates in town right now. That was the comeback on Thursday. They got three more against the Pirates at home. They get three on the road in Atlanta. So there's your huge series next week that we're all going to be really excited to watch. And then the Phillies go on the road to face the Marlins for their final series of the season. So. This is very much up in the air. This is a great setup here over the final 10 days for the Phillies. Yeah. And then this is why the Orioles matter, too, because they play Toronto and the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. So the Yankees kind of have it a little tougher than those other two teams. And, you you, you know, you mentioned the bullpen for the Red Sox. If the Red Sox lose a spot, it's because they can't beat the Orioles, which if you can't beat the Orioles, do you deserve a wild card spot at this juncture? I watched the inning of that game last night and was like, I, this is painful. I, I can't. It feels like you're watching a AAA team. Um, so yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, Derek. You're right. It's to me the I thought the Phillies and Mets and looking at this now, I knew the Mets have dropped off. I thought the Phillies and Mets were a little closer than they are. The Mets are seven and a half games out now. So they're done. They've been done for a while, but I thought the Phillies were further back. Atlanta just has not taken care of business really at all. And the Phillies have had the benefit of, of some easier opponents of some really Wins that they had no business winning, like last night. They had no business winning that game. <laughs> Did you guys see the tweet from Oren, one of our loyal listeners, who pointed out that the Mets and Rockies are kind of flirting with the same win total right now? The Mets oh, at 73, Lord. Rockies at 71. There's your subplot, Mets fans. Why watch Mets games for the final 10 days? Let's find out if you're better than the Rockies were this year. <laughs> I tell you what, the Padres aren't far behind that either. The way they've dropped like they've dropped like a rock. I mean, they are now twenty one and a half games out. There were jokes in in Padres Twitter about, you know, whether or not they'd stay above five hundred, and I was like, Come on, they're a decent team. <laughs> like they're projected they're project like their true talent is five fifty seven by projections, which is actually better than the Giants, kind of amazingly. The the, the projections still believe in them. But if I've ever seen a team in a tailspin, this is it. Um, I talked to an executive with the Angels yesterday, and he's like, you know, I still think the Padres are the most talented team in the West. Real? I was like, really? He's like, absolutely. Pure talent-wise, they are more talented than the Dodgers. Wow. Which, if you think about it, is crazy. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree, but... I think they're, I think they're missing the depth. If you're talking like if you kind of cut the roster off at the top 15 or something, they, maybe it's closer. Yeah, yeah, like the starting starting line. But I think I think when you look at it, the the difference between L.A. and San Diego isn't 20-something games, which is what it is right now, right? It's not that much. We saw these teams play really close, epic games, and we were all cheering and rooting for baseball early this season. Um, and not that much has changed. I know there's been injuries for the Padres. Um but there's also been injuries for the Dodgers, and the Dodgers also lost Trevor Bauer for the entire year. The what, like one thing that sticks out to me, other than player development, which produces like the depth, 
I'm sorry. You were you had a you had a, you were finishing a point. No, no, no. Go, go. You know, go with go with but, that. Ride no, that but the, the, but the one thing that sticks out for me is also the uh, the velocity uh, that the, the Dodgers and Giants have around the last two kind of roster spots they have. Those that kind of uh, claiming created Phil Bickford for the Dodgers this year. You know, like that's a that's a free reliever for them because they just claimed him off waivers and he ended up working out. Uh, that's long been a thing that uh, that uh, Farhan has been doing. Uh, he claimed, you know, Jose Quintana, who's soaking up some innings for them. Uh, he's claimed uh, a few of their relievers. Uh, yes, Yastrzemski was a big uh, a claim or a minor league uh, addition. So I don't see any of that with the Padres. You know, like the 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 kind of work it takes to create depth is missing, I think, in San Diego in terms of player development and in terms of roster manipulation, honestly. Because if you get like the most the craziest thing about being on these email lists uh, for these teams is getting the Giants daily transaction email. It's every day. It's every day. And there's five of them. And it's like, this guy's going on paternity, this guy's going on bereavement, this guy's going on COVID, this guy's going on the IL, this guy's coming off the IL, this guy's getting DFA'd, this guy's getting picked up, and it's it's the longest crap you've ever read. And I realized these players aren't even leaving San Francisco. Jay Jackson no. doesn't even no. leave San Francisco. Jay Jackson's been optioned down like 25 times this year. He doesn't even leave San Francisco. He just does his workouts in San Francisco. He doesn't go to Sacramento. Why should he ever pitch for Sacramento? He's a Giants reliever. They just want to give him days off and have more of a fresh bullpen. So really, the Giants yes. are out here running like a 30-man roster. But that isn't a new concept. I think people kind of act like it is. It's not a. It's not a new concept. The Rays do it the in front Ori- of everybody. There's a reason the Orioles were any good. They shouldn't have been good the years they were good, and they used to make a million moves because it was like, how can we win today? And mm. that's the approach. How do we win today? Okay, we need to send this reliever out. We need to get this reliever. It doesn't make a huge difference, but that guy can pitch two innings for us today if we need yeah. it. Yeah. Right. It's those yeah. like fringy moves. It's having the maneuverability in the bullpen. A lot of teams don't have that. A lot of teams don't look for that as much as the Giants and the Rays. And that ability to kind of create wins on the fringes is something a, that, like, is in vogue again, I guess. Yeah. It's also, I mean, it's something that, a, like, a team that wants to win will do, whereas a team that doesn't want to win uh, would rather use that for, like, a Ramon Urias claim or, like, you know, try to, like, find some actual players that might be there next year. They don't want to kind of always be manipulating the bullpen because they don't really care about the wins the same way. But, uh, you know, it is something that's, that's been around for a while. Um, and I, it is, I think it's kind of insidious if you are a reliever that's out of options. Like, just imagine being like a 32 year old reliever. You're out of options. You have to either be really, really good so that you get a pretty decent deal. But if you're mediocre, the team is going to sign you and DFA you because they don't have, you don't have any options. And that, that's just how life is run. So you're going to be DFA'd and then claimed by somebody else and then claimed by somebody else. You you know, that whole like 164 travel situation. If you're a reliever without of options, it's like, don't like don't even rent. Just like Airbnb. You know? Just just be Which wherever you are. Which can get expensive. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. Gosh. Um, speaking Unless of you do the, the one where you're just like sleeping on the couch. There's a yeah, there's which, a site called Couch Surfers. Which I bet, I bet a, you in COVID that's like not really a thing anymore. That's probably less of a thing now than it was <laughs> a few years ago. Like, 
invite someone into their house to sleep on a couch they don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. But I bet they're all packing into some apartment somewhere. I mean, yeah. speaking of San Diego, we might as well hit that next because Dennis Lynn had a great piece about some of the changes going on in that organization. I don't know if we called them changes so much as like shuffling the deck chairs, it seemed like, with some of these latest moves, like moving people around. The big deal, obviously, um, Sam Gini is not going to return after, what, seven Seven years in the organization? Was that what it was? Yeah. The farm director? Isn't it weird yeah. that the farm director's gone? Like, on, from the outside looking in, weird that the farm director's gone. We've talked for the better part of the last seven years about how great the young talent the Padres have. It really is. And I think there's a clear cost to what they've done in terms of trading and, and buying high on pitching and, and making the moves they've made in that the... The, the roster they would have had, the, the top 30, top 35 players they would have had if they had been able to develop talent internally more effectively would be much better. Because if you go through that piece and you see the names that they have had, that they've had to use to, to make deals, and you got to make some trades, right? But the cost of being the, the buyer in San Diego's case, where you're paying up for the more proven player, is giving away all the guys that could be two and three win players we've been talking about. It's the opposite side of the Seattle part of the trade. Right, you're paying premiums for, or obviously, in literal sense, like look where they got Joe Musgrove, look where they got Blake Snell, and and look where they got Mike Clevenger. Right, if if you're on the other side of those deals, you're getting the two and three win players back in return, and you can't keep everybody. Right, just to be clear about this, it's not like you can hold everybody. The roster's only forty man. You know, you got to find ways to to manage things. Like that's part of this too. But I do wonder if part of the reason the Padres' depth isn't what it needed to be to stack up to the Dodgers and Giants uh, was the, the aggressive approach to, to try and get more top-end talent. Maybe they took it a couple trades too far. Well, what you well, what you need to have is the player development to then push in the, the one to two win players, you know, the 45s. You need to have the, 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 the player development system that provides the depth because you're trading away the depth. I mean, as, as badly as the Cardinals seem to be run at times when they do those trades for the big uh the big names and i had to get that dig in because we're going to eat some crow <laughs> uh but uh, uh when they do those big trades for uh you know nolan arenado and paul, and paul goldschmidt it's because they can create they they're pretty good at creating major league sort of okay players so it's okay to let carson kelly go because you like andrew kneiser looks like he'll be okay you know what i mean it's okay to like luke weaver go because you know we think these other guys and austin gomber we think these other pitchers that are coming up are going to be good um so uh, you know that's what's missing uh, to some extent too if you just trade out all those guys but you know and we have more coming on this uh because it's a whole it's a whole deal but i just yeah. wanted to point out that there's this, this really interesting thing that's, that's happening there chris kemp chris kemp is like one of preller's right hand man right hand men he was the international scouting director and the field coordinator at the same time now that means he's um, he's trying to uh, manage call ups and uh, the relationship between the farm and the major leagues. That's that's kind of like the field coordinator, right? And he's also trying to manage all the international signings. Now that's already a two people job that one person's doing, and now he gets amateur scouting director. So he's now in charge of all scouting, international and, and and amateur, as well as being the field coordinator. This is in some organizations. This is four or five people's jobs. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, let me. That's crazy. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, I did a lot of work with Dennis and Ken Rosenthal about kind of the on the field product and the lack of leadership there. But, you know, we touched on and, and you know, I know you're, you're going to touch on this later, the the issues at the top. And I got this text message um, yesterday. It was yesterday, Wednesday, um, from an executive there that said there's going to be a lot more changes, supposedly not because of the losing, but because the departments need to be tighter and further aligned with leadership. Some people aren't checking those boxes. So you read between the lines here at some of the reshuffling that got announced. You mentioned Chris Kemp. They moved Mark Connor to a special assistant. He was doing the player development stuff. He was their, um, what, their scouting director, technically, I guess. Um, and they, so they've moved around a lot of these guys and reshuffled them. And it seems like aligning with leadership, if you read between the lines, is... Yes, people that Preller, yes, people that that Preller trusts, people that are in his inner circle, so that there is no breakdown along the line. So I think that's what you're seeing here. But he already his leadership style already sort of depends on that kind of relationship with a lot of people. If you look at the people he's hired that he that he's now firing, they're all people that came with him from Texas. They're all sort of part of this chain that he's always had. So he he, it's not a place where uh, different ideas are necessarily bubbling to the top very well. No, so, but, so but did the losing seems Eno, like the wrong idea. <laughs> but did the losing kind if of I'm make losing, people be like, well, what's going on here? You know what? I'm going to take my guys and move them around and then I'm going to bring in more of my guys. So I- I'm sorry. That's just like the weirdest reaction to me. If I'm I losing, agree. I'm like, I need a new, I need a fresh Agreed. voice. I need new ideas. Let's keep in mind, everybody in that organization is a AJ Preller hire. Jace Tingler did not pick his coaching staff. That entire coaching staff was recruited and signed and scout and, and brought in by AJ Preller. So mm. this is not a traditionally run organization. You look at Detroit and AJ Hinch got to choose his, yeah. you know, he got to choose his staff. Even in DC, Davey Martinez, when he was a rookie manager, which is what Chase Tingler was brought in as a rookie manager, they did provide, Mike Rizzo did add some coaches, but Davey Martinez still got two of his own coaches. And he got more as he got this latest extension. He was able to bring in more of his guys, right? That's kind of how it works. Jace Tingler did not get a single say over his coaching staff. Just, that's actually amazing. Put Jace Tingler up against AJ Hinch because the Tigers just signed uh, Ryan Garko to be the director of, yes. I think it's like VP of player development or director of player yes. development. I don't know exactly what the title is, but player development head. And there are so many ties between Ryan Garko and AJ Hinch that, you know, not only Stanford, you know, there's other beyond that that. You could like it's you could kind of read between the lines and be like, maybe this is kind of a hinge hire. Yes, it absolutely is. I, I broke the that's kind they of got amazing. rid of 11 he's the on field manager and he's yeah. like having influence. Whereas Tingler so, seems like he has one foot in the coffin already after one yes. year and he and he never got really given the power to begin with. Right. So I got the email two days ago and, and sent it to Cody, our Tigers guy. And we were able to break that they fired these 11 people. And we were kind of wondering why. Like Detroit has had a good year. They've, they've done better than people realize. And then you see why. And it's because they want to bring in more AJ Hinch guys, which is fascinating because somebody from Detroit called me yesterday and they're like, did you see who we hired? Did you see who he's connected to? It's very clear who has the power here, which you're right, is totally not how most organizations are run. And I just wonder if AJ Hinch is running the Tigers. Why? What's the point of Alavila? Like, what is he doing? Why? Why then? If AJ Hinch, Hinch is going to be able to pick player, de- <laughs> like you know, like if AJ Hinch is able to pick all the player development people, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but 
you just look at the difference with Jace Tingler and San Diego, and that mm-hmm. was almost that was almost fated to go poorly if you guys think about it, because as soon yeah. as it went bad, nobody was going to vouch for him because he has no it's not his, of guys. his guys. They're not. Yeah, he has nobody around him. And like uh, one big part of coaching is creating, and this is going to sound like you know some people are going to roll their eyes at this maybe, but like big part of coaching is making people feel good, like making people feel yeah. good in the space they're in, and that includes the coach himself and the coaching staff, you know. And part of that is you know you could call it cronyism or whatever, but like part of that is the coach being allowed, the manager being allowed to install his own coaching staff. Then he feels like everybody has his back. Everybody's pulling on the same mm-hmm. chain and nobody's, you know, trying to be there when he's gone. Yes. You know what I mean? On a well-run, t- on a Bruce Boshi team, on a Buckshaw Walter team, on a Jim Leland team, there is no way a player goes after a coach. They don't even dream about it because the coach, like even in San Francisco now, Gabe Kapler, the coach is the same level of power as the manager, right? The and, coach and is one of is like an extension of the manager, yeah. And they know that. But when you have a system, a dichotomy like you do in San Diego, it's not the same. And so you're like, oh, it, Preller is the actual source of yes. power that I care about, mm-hmm. and. I don't even think Tangler is a Preller guy anymore, so I'm just going to ignore him or whatever it is. Or, or you know, there have been some high-profile uh, moments of, of players yelling at coaches in, in San Diego, not, and then players yelling at players, obviously, too. So they got the same roster coming back for the most part next year, by the way. So all, what, <laughs> We whatever, just got really heated. <laughs> like, whatever shuffling the deck chairs maneuvers AJ Preller wants to pull off you know whatever tiny clap for him for that he's got basically the same roster coming back the good news is Mike Clevenger should be healthy for the start of the season so you go Darvish Snell Musgrove Clevenger as your core four Denelson Lamette is entering his final year of arbitration this winter I think with all the injuries he's dealing with he's actually a possible non-tender but you if you keep him or a TJ right but if you keep him, you can't pencil him in for more than 80 innings right now. I mean, it's just unfortunate. I'm looking at the roster. I'm thinking, uh, you know, Mark Melanson's on a on a, on a mutual $5 million option. And they're only going to have something like 15 to 20 to spend. So I feel like Melanson might ask for more. He's not going to take that $5 million option. So he's either going to ask for more and move on or ask for more from them and chew up more of their money. So, you know, even if you rack Melanson back, you would want to add relievers. So the only way to do that is uh, kind of loop, put Pomerantz and Lamette in, in a bucket and be like, hope one of these guys is healthy. Because if, if one of those guys is healthy, they can combine with Pierce Johnson and Tim Hill and give them a, a workable bullpen again. But you'll do that and you will chew up some of your money, you know, getting Melanson back and you won't really have any money to acquire anybody new. Right, unless yeah, you're going to run a bigger point. payroll, right? They were ninth in opening day payroll already, so I, I know they're they spending. Not. They're spending a lot more than they were spending, which is great. Are they going to spend even more than that? Seems unlikely. They'd push up to two hundred. They have to, and, but you know, and, they don't and the need whole. To. They don't. They don't need to. I feel like they just need some more depth and to stay healthier. Or and it's a different Padres team. Maybe a change of manager. Maybe that's, that's I, all I yeah. feel like. I can't tell. I can't tell how much to to blame on a manager. Manager is a guy who just like you know keeps you know like keeps the bullpen right and you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but see, once we're you talking lose... about this, like he'll. I mean, Hinch has more power than uh, than I think of as a regular manager. I think a regular manager is just trying to keep everyone happy and uh, in the right place, basically. 
I agree with you, but once a team gives up on the manager, like they did 2019 on Andy Green, you got to get rid of him. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I don't think Jay Stingler's a bad guy, but once a team actually visibly gives up, and let's be clear, this is exactly what it looks like in San Diego, then mm. you have. I think you have to make some kind of change. You can't just rearrange some people in player development and say we're fixed, right? Yeah, this can't be all the Padres do. It is tough, though. I mean, they're kind of they're they're backed into this roster because they're they they've signed a lot of people on major league contracts, so it's not like there's a lot of fungibility in the back in the back end, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Between, I mean, you got Machado good. on the on the big long term deal. Darvish they acquired on a long term deal. He's still got another year. Will Myers north of twenty two million. Hosmer still getting paid a lot for one year before he dips a little bit and is a little bit more of just a expensive veteran type that you can sort of just deal with. Thirteen million starting in twenty twenty three. Still a lot, but not as bad as the twenty one million for next year. Snell's getting paid a little more next year because of his extension. Tommy Pham's gone. I've talked about him as someone who's underperformed this year. So you got to get more from one of those outfield spots, but that's not a difficult spot to go get someone. I mean, think about some of the players that were available last winter. Kyle Schwarber had a one-year deal from the Nats, right? You can get a player like that. A corner, a corner outfielder. A corner outfielder. Yeah, yeah not, a, not a difficult ad, like, thing to go get. So you swap out fam for someone, you're better there. A little better health across the board would certainly help. I'm thinking about the the infield too. I mean, Jerks and Profar, they gave him a three-year deal. He looks awful this year. I don't know if he's been playing through an injury or what exactly the problem is there. Profar and Frazier just doesn't make any sense. It's like, no. you don't want two of the same mediocre player. Frazier needs right. to be traded or non-tendered. They, they can't keep him. They, there's no, I, it, it yeah. doesn't make sense to hold him on the roster. It was, it was a move that looked like it made sense at the time, but it's just as much as he exceeded expectations in Pittsburgh, he's underperformed in San Diego. He's a player somewhere in between those two levels. But why retain him if you already have Profar locked in for a few more years? And I don't think anybody they're getting anybody to take Hosmer's money off. Because even with this year mm-hmm. gone, there's, uh, let's see here, it looks like 40, 60, 61 million left in the next four years on Hosmer's no. deal. I don't think they people tried. take on 61. They tried. Yeah, they, they tried, tried all. so, 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 so hard this July. And so I don't, who who's going to take it? For what? Myers. What Twenty-two and a half million. I think if you ate five, seven of it, something like that, I feel like you could maybe get someone to take that money off. And but then, then you're down a corner. Now you're down another corner outfielder, and you have ten million to spend. I guess th- that might be the idea. Is like you know, spend twelve million on two corner outfielders. Very easy to do. Oh, and by the way, Chris Paddock still very affordable as your fifth starter. Even with his flaws, Chris Paddock is great as a fifth starter. He's more like a mid rotation guy even with those flaws. So this is a good rotation next year. They've still got star power. Assuming Tatis's shoulder isn't completely messed up to the point where he needs surgery, the way he's playing, it makes it seem like he's fine. Like the, he, he should probably be the NL MVP. And if he doesn't win it, Bryce Harper probably wins it. Maybe Juan Soto wins it. I know people are talking about that now, but he's still playing at an MVP level with a bad shoulder. I did have somebody on the Padres push back and say, like, dude, if you re-ran this simulation you know, that we're in a hundred times, uh, this would be one of the bottom 10 to 15 outcomes. I'm not disagreeing with that. The, I think the Pythagorean win total is like 81. So I don't know who was saying they were as talented as the Dodgers, but uh, if that was Somebody who's a, been in baseball for a really long time. I think when you look at starter to starter, like it's easy to now be down on the Padres, right? But if they were all playing at or above the level we predicted, then I could see how you would get there. 
I, get, I, I mean, I, I get there's a lot of brand names. There's guys that have done it before. It, it depends how good you think some of the underperforming veteran types are. But they have a great rotation going to next year. They have star power. They have enough resources to fix some of their offensive flaws. I think as down as you probably are as a Padres fan right now, there is still more to like about your roster and your immediate future than there is to dislike. Because Agreed. they're not they're not going to sit there and say, this is our team. We're good. We're, we're just not going to do anything at all. They're going to do some things. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, who knows what this winter holds for him. I mean, that's a big one. Luis Campusano, they have a catcher of the future who's played really well at AAA this year. So there's another possible upgrade for them in the everyday right. lineup too. So th- th- there are some CJ silver Abrams linings is, here. is on the doorstep, right? I mean, Yeah, CJ Abrams should have year. big league playing time for half of next season. I think we'll see him probably June, July. Yeah. Here, here, I mean, some left fielders and right fielders, uh, $12 million you maybe have to spend if you get rid of Myers. Mark Canha, Corey Dickerson, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Kyle Schwarber himself. There you go. Get, get the man himself. Get the man himself. Uh, Cole Calhoun will probably be out there. Uh, I mean, Nick Castellanos can opt out, but I think that would be an expensive one. Avisel Garcia could uh, could be bought out, but I think they'll I think they'll keep him probably. Uh, I think there's some there's some decent names. Even somebody like Gregory Polanco, uh, who would come super cheap if you bought him as your fourth outfielder to have a guy with a little bit of upside on your roster. Jorge Soler. Well, yeah. Well, what about what about if they just if there's the DH next year, you just sign Nelson Cruz because I know they wanted him badly. I know a lot of the players wanted him badly. I know they tried to get him and didn't because Tampa Bay ultimately ended up getting him. He fills the leadership void. He gives you a big bopper in the bat in the lineup that they need. He's a great person. He's a great presence. Um, you know, he's his agent lives in that area. Uh, he's got very close ties to a lot of those Baltimore guys. I think he makes a lot of sense. I know he's someone they're going to let target this winter. Um, especially if there's a DH. Yeah, and and uh, that's that's a the thing that colors all of our analysis. That's a little bit difficult to kind of uh, put pin down is the CBA uh, negotiation. What might change? Um, I think the Padres might be at that nexus of teams that might actually spend a little bit more if the uh, competitive balance tax is is raised, as it should be, because it's been the same for a while. You know, it's been in the same range for a while. So if it gets moved up to like 220, they could they could have maybe 30 million dollars to spend. Then they get Nelson Cruz, a couple outfielders and a reliever, you know. Well, we've delayed long enough. It's time. <laughs> lesson in eating crow. We've talked around this whole this whole game. Drum roll. Every division, the only division we don't want to touch. <laughs> we uh we did a 16-minute eulogy on the 2021 Padres and <laughs> tried to get people hyped up for next season about them and we've filibustered long enough. It is time for us to eat some crow with the Cardinals. Uh Brick got to start the victory lap a little bit last week on the Athletic Baseball show. We got to host that show. <laughs> last Friday, but now it's it's looking so good. So, uh, Britt, I can either give you the floor or I can just say, holy crap, I was wrong on a loop for the next five minutes. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I always prefer the latter, so I would love to hear you and Eno discuss um, what has transpired here. And and wel- welcome on the bandwagon, guys. There's room. There's room. Oh, I don't, don't understand it. They're not a really good team. Because <laughs> it's not who 
curious about the numbers, Eno. <laughs> uh, oh, ouch. You have wounded me. You have wounded me to my core. No, it's not always about the numbers. I know the game is played on the field, nerd. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I just look at this team and I'm like, I guess, I think, you know, one thing that might I might have um, misunderstood is that this is a really good bullpen, right? I think I didn't understand how good Luis Garcia was. And getting uh, better. Yeah. And the, the, they kind of gelled as a bullpen, I think. Uh, because Gallegos, I always I always liked Gallegos. Cabrera, Genesis Cabrera is fine. TJ McFarland is better than I thought. Uh, Cody Whitley was somebody I, I actually highlighted one of our in one of our um, uh, podcasts at some point. But the the I think the bullpen coming together has really helped them hit. Like like even in their clincher, right? Did they clinch? Or just in the, or in last night's game? Felt last like night they should have lost. Last night was another. They That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they Even definitely deserved to lose yesterday. Yeah. Wainwright yeah. sucked it up. They gave up a grand slam in the first or something. They're down five nothing. No worries, bullpen. Here comes the bullpen. They shut them down in one eight five or something. Yeah, and is Hudson back yet? Because Hudson and Flaherty are going to be bullpen additions. So yeah, it's going to be even better. And, and they'll and they'll go to the they'll start you know Hap and Hap Lester Wainwright M- M- Michaelis like those guys will get three innings of pop from now on. <sighs> I still think like, oh man, who's your wild card starter? Flaherty for two innings. Yeah, he's he's pitching just, today, and he'll pitch one more on time back. next week. He'll Wainwright. probably stretch up to about five innings by the time we get to the start Wainwright's of the, post, the postseason. Yeah, you get, you're using you Wainwright like, in that game. Yeah, it's a Wainwright versus Scherzer, and let me tell you, anything can happen in that one game wild card. Or, or, or it's Wainwright versus like Kevin Gossman or Logan Webb. I mean, it could be the Giants in that game. I think we want the Dodgers to have to like fight for their season in a one-game playoff because it feels like it would just be fair for them to have to do it. But that one's still up in the air. I mean, I think, okay, so the couple things that I thought were interesting when we talked about the Cardinals on the other show, Paul Goldschmidt's been like good Paul Goldschmidt again, like great Paul Goldschmidt again. That's huge. Nolan Arenado is always good. Tyler O'Neill has really stepped up to the level that maybe some of us expected Dylan Carlson to reach this year. Carlson's been fine, but Tyler O'Neill's been really good. I, if you if you're listening to this and you've never seen Tyler O'Neill, just go. You know what you can do? You can go to Savant and it's like load random image, load random video. Just do that. He, he's the, uh, the 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 fire hydrant. I think is the the body type that you've described before. You know, I know, there's... but there's something. It's more than that. Well, it's, it's, like it's the bodybuilding fire hydrant. fire hydrant. And then on top of that, he's a tight pants guy. Um, so it's <laughs> it's uh, it's just glorious to look at. It's a crazy. And then he has a very interesting body stance and really looks like he wants to murder the ball. So and then and then he does. So. He does. It's baseball's very yeah. far. So. I mean, you've got that kind of core three in the offense, and then you've got good secondary players up and down. Like I think Carlson kind of fits as a secondary part of the lineup right now, could play up at any given time. Yadier Molina, been there a million times, not necessarily even a great offensive player, but the value you get from him, of course, calling games defensively. Like, part of what's made them great that I overlooked, the bullpen's been better than I thought. That was something that stood out to me last week, too. The defense is really good. Obviously, Nolan yes. Arnold is a platinum glove player. You know he's good, but up and down the roster, this is a really good defensive team. And the conclusion I've come to, run prevention is often overlooked 
when we're evaluating teams. Like you see teams make great plays defensively. You know it helps the pitching staff. You know it's a good thing, but it doesn't pop the same way as being the team that leads the league in home runs or barrels or other things that we just get more excited about. So I think that's part of how the Cardinals snuck up on me. And my doubts remain about the starting pitching, but getting Flaherty healthy is huge because at least going Wainwright Flaherty and then bullpenning for the other two turns because you get onto a four-man rotation in the postseason, that's doable. That's actually a formula that can work With when your bullpen is that days, good. Yeah, it, it's it's possible at least. So they're they're scary. They're really scary. And I, I just thought they were dead, which is such a mistake. For someone who's been a fan of an NL Central team, you know the Cardinals are the team that survives the apocalypse. They they will never, ever, ever be gone. Like They will never be truly eliminated. Until they are mathematically eliminated, they are not ever actually done. And it's, it's infuriating, but it's also impressive. <laughs> well, imagine yeah. the next year, uh, if we have 14 teams that are in, then all these mediocre teams are in. I hate the that. The Phillies are in. I, no. I, I snap hate this so the much. The Reds are in. No. The Padres no. are in. And no one watches the regular season because everybody makes it. Like, no. Terrible. Yeah. No. I, September. Yeah. I think we fixed some part of September ball. Like, I did not like old September ball where you had, like, a 40-man roster or whatever. Like, you know, like, where you could just run reliever after reliever. The Brewers were amazing at that. Yeah. Uh, September. <laughs> It's a Craig Timber to remember. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. right. Actually, you know, that's a great point that I haven't seen anyone make that September baseball is better this year. It's better now, I think. It's better. It's, it's going to be ruined. If you do 14 teams, September baseball matters nothing. That's when, like, people will just start watching football. And right. be like, Players are going to approve that. And wake me up in the second round of the playoffs because I'm a basketball fan. I watch basketball. I don't really like the first round of the playoffs. I'm just like, this is a snooze fest. We're going five games between these two teams. I don't even want to watch one, you know? And like, yeah. like that's how I'd feel if we had fi- a five-game series right now between the Phillies and Reds. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm saying. No, it's true. I, like, to Phillies fans and Reds fans, it'd be great. But like, would it be that great to other people that aren't necessarily Phillies and Reds? <laughs> that fans? could be. That could and be a good series. Would it even be that great? No. Because you're as a Phillies fan, you'd rather you'd rather your team tried to get better than just be like, nah, we rolled out with an 84 win season and we're in the playoffs. That's good enough. And oh, that's I, why the players want to prove it. That's why the players shouldn't like, like make a big deal out of it at least and get a huge deal for it back. And and maybe only add one or two teams. Like fourteen is just absurd. I don't think you add any. If anything, I think you make the wild card a three gamer. I get the complaint over your season. You win a hundred games. Those so the give them more postseason revenue that yeah, way. Yeah, like the complaining to me is basically because it's the Dodgers that might be the wild card team, right? If it was the Royals or the Mariners, you wouldn't hear nearly as much about like oh. They can't. It sucks that they win a hundred games and they don't win the division. Well, remember what it used to be years. like. Yeah, you, it's you could win a hundred and not even make the postseason. <laughs> exactly. So, like, we fix that, and I feel like baseball's playoffs is exciting. Don't ruin it. Why do we have to ruin things? This is why we can't have nice things. We do not why? want the first round of the basketball playoffs. I promise you. The addition of the second wild card was something that at the time I was like, eh, I don't like that, and then it played out. And I was like, nope, that actually is good, and. I will admit that sometimes I need to see how something plays out to really understand if I like it or not. I don't think I will like more teams in baseball's playoffs. I still think the the KBO model makes more sense. The team with the better record 
in the wildcard matchup only has to win one game. The team with the lower win total would have to win two, right? I think that's the better way to go. It's not a best of three, but it's it's a scenario where there's a little incentive to be higher in the standings. You want to put weight on the 162-game grind as much as you possibly can. That seems to me like a better balance. (laughs) I think if the owners, you want to put as less as possible because the 162 grind, that costs a lot more money. Well, shoot. If every other sport keeps expanding its playoffs, Major League Baseball is going to follow suit. I mean, in the NHL, half the teams make the playoffs. In the NBA, half the teams make the playoffs. In the NFL, they're expanding the playoffs. Like, it, it's there. It's Are free. they expanding the playoffs in the NFL? Yeah, because they're adding another game, and they're and they're and they're adding a game, a regular season game, and they're expanding the playoffs. Yeah, they're 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 just finding more and more ways to to make money, right? And this is because yeah, they ditched some of the preseason games. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Well, here's the thing, though. If you're going to do that, then make the regular season 120 games again so that there is more of an urgency. Do so we're not something. like, so we're not like, so oh, God, just like it's grinding June. the players down. Have you seen the players right now? Oh, God, I feel so bad. Like I was talking about Chad Green. Some of these guys are tired, dude. Well, yeah, yes. we're all we're Ways all tired. Just look tired. Yeah. I mean, what, no one's just, talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what no one's talking about is like the effect of last year's sixty game season, and now yeah. this year these guys are all exhausted. Yeah, uh, but that's a talk for a, another day this winter when we have nothing else to. Well, I see. It. About. I see it in the bullpens. I think I see it in the bullpens. Yeah, and and if the if if Atlanta falls back, I saw a show. Uh, and I love the, I love the show. I, you know, I'll, I'll name them. I'm not I'm not critiquing them generally. I think it was MLB Central or whatever. I, I watched them. I actually like the show. It's a good show. And uh, they were saying something about like uh, I think it was on Central. They were saying, look at the 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 Braves. They post like the the leaders and in games played out their position at each other position are Freeman, Albies, Swanson, and Riley like on the infield. And I was like, I don't know if that's a great thing, dude. I mean, they didn't play a full season last year. Now you're saying that they posted every game this season. Like their their legs are probably pretty jelly right now. You know, the the yeah. the teams like the Giants and Dodgers are investing a lot of money into injury prevention, and part of that is models that create planned rest days and and like make take them make them take Chris Bryant out of the lineup and make them take uh, Brandon Crawford out of the lineup. You know, um, and uh, I don't know. The, the the Giants are playing pretty well at the end of the season. Yeah, mm-hmm. I go I go back and forth with this. I I miss the days of guys playing no matter what. All right, I think it adds like a and I think Hannah Kaiser Yahoo did a great column about how 
Freddie Freeman playing every day inspires them all to play every day because it's like, well, you don't want to let down Freddie. Um, so I wish. As a fan, you don't want you don't want to go to the the Lakers game the day LeBron gets the load management day. You know, be like, oh yeah. man, I just spent a bunch of money to see the Lakers. I don't get to see LeBron. Oh, I just spent a bunch of money to see the the Braves. It's a little bit less of a concern in in baseball, right? Because you're not usually going to see one player because there's like you know so many on the field. Yeah, so I get it, but I do wish that like I don't know why can't we trade? It's the same thing with pitchers. Why Marcus Stroman has made every start and it's like and it it's a hot commodity because guys don't often make every start that they're supposed to make. Why aren't we in 2021 smart enough to condition pitchers to be able mm-hmm. to make every start they can? Right? Is it a flaw in the way they're training are we coming so obsessed with rest and pitch counts and things that guys physically can't go more than 100 pitches anymore right like i I don't know it's an interesting thing and depending on who you talk to in the strength conditioning world you're going to get a different answer so yeah that that borders on another conversation we're talking about like this pitch clock right i like the pitch clock because you won't be able to rest as much between your your reps your throws you won't be able to max out as much and so therefore velocity will go down but I did get some uh, some pushback uh, from uh, uh, from a, a trainer saying um, you're you're creating fatigue. You're you're getting velocity to go down by creating fatigue. So you're by nature will create more injuries. Um, and uh. I and I'm receptive to that. I don't really want to uh, create create fatigue to, to take velocity down, but I do want to take velocity down. And uh, like, so train differently. So like, why are, like right now we're training so that they can throw as hard as possible for, you know, 40 or 50 pitches. Cause they don't even, you know, they only throw the fastball 40, or 50 times. They want to throw as hard as possible, 40 or 50 times a night and get through five innings. That's, that's the, the way they're trained. If, if there, if a pitch clock kept them from throwing as hard as they could every time, uh, then would, shouldn't they train for like train for more of a marathon than yes. a sprint? Yes, you know we're training for a sprint because that's the game is allowing us to right now. And we realized, oh, relievers are really good because they just come in and sprint, right? So let's yeah. just have our starters come in and sprint, and everyone everyone sprint, you know. But but if we put a pitch clock in and we're forcing people to jog, then maybe train to jog, you know, as a tortured. Yes, uh, I, I kind I saw that comment in your mentions. Like, I didn't want to start a Twitter fight, but I I disagree with fatigue directly correlating to injuries. You train to be fatigued. You train mm-hmm. to Max Scherzer in February is grunting through the last ten to fifteen pitches of his bullpen because he wants to train himself to be able to throw that last inning. So mm-hmm. if Max Scherzer can do it. If Max Scherzer is training that way and it shows up, right? Because Max Scherzer, and just like Justin Verlander, when he was healthy, is often better as the game goes on. The greats are often better as the game goes on because they have trained that way. So, yeah, I think another I way think of saying he, is like fatigue is a natural part of the training process. It's, yes. it's something you have to manage, but like manage it then differently. Manage if it. You, manage it differently if you can't throw your max every time. You yes. know, like think about a exactly. way to manage to manage your pitcher so that he's he can actually throw at 80% and and throw for longer and yeah um yeah so i i disagreed with that whole like can't make them tired oh no well let's train them so that their threshold for fatigue is higher right let's keep moving the goalposts so the fatigue they, doesn't set in on the 60th pitch it's now the 100th pitch 
Is it there is a pitch clock like in your in your in your in competitive lifting world there is basically a pitch clock. You can't just take forever between reps, right? If if there's a if they if they're requiring yeah. you to do reps, you can't just be like, okay, I'm now taking a ten minute break and I'll do the, my next rep in ten minutes, right? Like, isn't there? If it is, like, are there are there events that are that there are reps needed to be done? Like, you need that, to do ten or like, something, or yeah, it's more like CrossFit, but like when I'm training and stuff, like you're supposed to do a heavy three, so you know you can't do your max max squat for. Three, three reps in a row, right? So you kind of have to look right. at it as what do I have in the tank? What do I have reserve-wise? Um, mm. So I think with baseball, it's that same thing that we've talked about, right? Like the, it has changed so much and become such a velocity game. It's become a sprint game. And it's interesting because the Nationals, and I don't know if more teams are going to do this, are now going to require their pitchers to run more. Because for years, they've been like, these guys don't have the endurance built up in their legs. And mm. I wonder if more organizations are going to be like, and that's why aren't a we really doing old that? school thing. There are yeah. definitely people who are like, why does a pitcher need to run? He doesn't run for his job. <laughs> right. Except, except Mac, the Max Scherzer has a crazy running routine. Yeah. I remember when I was in New York in 2009, Andy Pettit used to do this blistering. You'd get there early enough and you'd see him do the stairs. He would do this crazy running routine. Roy Halliday had the legendary running routine that he would do at like four in the morning at spring training. So wow. were these guys, were these guys wrong? I don't think so. Like, it's always been a, a lower half. When you put it, when you make thing. it about endurance in the legs, it, it sounds compelling to me. But yeah, I don't no, know enough. I also ha- I have seen Rich Hill uh, sort of alligator arming around the around the uh, around the, the the stairs. He does stairs, but he doesn't he doesn't do them uh, aggressively. <laughs> he does them Boy. as you might expect a forty year old man to do them. <laughs> hey, he's still doing the <laughs> stairs. <laughs> Yeah, makes me you know? want to get up and be like, I'll do the stairs with you, buddy. <laughs> I can handle this speed. <laughs> hey, he's still in the game, though, so something's working. It's true. So the the story of the early part of the week was Cardgate, where uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, whilst uh, crossing home plate, picked up the info card that fell out of the wristband of Alejandro a wild, Kirk. A wildst reference. All right. That's what happened. crossing home plate. It's true. It's a word. It worked. It was, it was the right word. I'm sorry. Wilst? Wilst. Why, yeah. Wilst. Yeah, I don't know. Don't ask me how to say it. Well, now, now I'm in my own head. As <laughs> anyway, he crossed home plate, cr- as he crossed, Kevin Kiermeyer found a, a card with information on it. It was the scouting report, fell out of Alejandro Kirk's wristband, and he picked it up. And people with the Rays presumably saw it, and you know, eventually it was supposedly returned. And anyway, the Blue Jays were pissed. That's the story, basically. And hit him, and they hit him as, as the retaliation, which uh, I, I saw. Bob Ryan, particular kind of old old man. Bob Ryan came in with the that was a deserved plunking, and I was like, "Who still follows and reads you, dude? Like, what what year is this, man? Like, that it's not 1974 anymore, Bob. Let's hang it up." You have to make so many assumptions to get mad at Kiermaier. You have to assume that he knew when he's looking at it, even with the video, like him looking at it. You're like you're you're out of breath. You just scored at home, right? Like you just had a play at the plate, which is one of the more traumatic things that could happen, right? You're breathing hard. You look down. There's a piece of paper. Yeah, like you can even if you assume that he knows immediately what it is, uh, like to you would pick it up, right? Could be his know. card. You're, right? you're He's got a card in his back pocket. You're also a competitive person, so you'd be like, I need to investigate this more. <laughs> if, even if I don't know, I know it's not mine. And and then the other guy, the other guy lost his little cheat sheet on the on the field of play. Like, uh, there's no. My point was, there's not a single player in baseball that wouldn't pick that up. Yeah, I saw that tweet, and I I completely agree. This is not third grade recess. 
You don't return something you found on the swing set. This is a big league game. You're trying to yeah. win. And uh, I'm sorry. A few years ago, there was a whole trash can banging. These guys will do anything to win a game. They're trying to see yeah. if guys are tipping pitches all the time. They're constantly trying to steal signs from second base. This is part of the game. And if you're going to drop a cheat sheet, someone's picking up the cheat sheet. I That's have the risk. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, but, and no the, the risk of bringing the cheat sheet onto the field is that you could lose control of it and someone else might get it. That's the downside. Yeah. You want to bring it on the field? Okay. That's the cost. That's the risk. That's what could go wrong if something happens to your wristband. The, the yes. discourse took a downturn uh, when we started talking about legality. <laughs> and uh, if I drop my social security guard in the ground and you pick it up, it's is not it yours? the same thing. This is this is this, this is, is not the a same thing. This is a bigly game again, like not real world at all. It's like, not the real world at all. If and I'm also, yeah, like John Heyman was like, "What? What if I drop a hundred dollar bill?" Listen, a hundred dollar bill has value to everyone. The same value to everybody. This card has a specific amount of value to each of these people involved. It would not be worth anything to me if I picked it up. You know, I, so it's I not the question. same as a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> okay, I got a question for both of you guys. If you are at the winter meetings and you're walking behind Chris Antonetti and he drops something and you pick it up, it's all the Indians trade rumors. You give it back, or you're using? Oh, hey, I got some inside knowledge on the trade rumors. I'm telling you what uh, I'm doing. How about it's this? The latter. Take a picture. <laughs> yeah. Here right. you go. You dropped your card. Yeah. We sound, we, we sound like terrible people. Are we right friends now? now? Like we we've devolved I mean. into very bad people. That's not a hundred dollar <laughs> bill. That's not his social security card. That's information right. that will help you do your job better, right? Mm-hmm. So it is the same kind of thing, is it not? You're telling me, that's, Derek, that's Scott a good, Boris, that's a good, sim- that's a good, sim- that's a very good similar I wonder example. If Bob Ryan would same would kind of thing. Scott Boris card back. Without no, even looking no, at I, it. I think this is yeah. the this is the exact right question to ask people who are outraged by what Kiermaier did, right? Yeah. It's like, would you actually give that back if that was something you could use for a story? No, I don't you know. Wouldn't. Like I, I, I was walking actually I was in the athletic offices in New York. I was leaving the building, I was in this high rise near Grand Central, and there was a pile of money on the ground, like it, wads of like fives and tens, it looked like. Whoa. And it was just kind of sitting at the bottom of the escalator. And as I went down, I saw it, so I scooped it up. And there was um, like a security person kind of standing by the escalator. I just, I just, I didn't even count the money. I just looked at him like, someone dropped this. I just handed it to the person and just walked away. You're like, this was the closest person in charge who may have seen someone drop some money who could get it back to the person. And a couple people I was with were like, what are you doing? Just, just keep it. Like, you're, you're too nice. Just keep it. I'm like, it's not mine. I, I know I didn't drop it. It's not mine. That's a different scenario though than what we're talking about. We're talking about a professional baseball game where you shouldn't have a cheat sheet on the field of what you're going to do to the other team when they're standing right next to you. It's a totally different construct. This isn't. Yeah. It is. I, I lost a thing that I didn't realize I lost. It's I brought the I brought the scouting report a few feet away from the guy that we're going to use it against, and now I'm going to kind of quietly look at it and hope he, you know, that's that's a totally different yeah. thing. This is Scott Boris walking into the media room and leaving a piece of paper that's got a whole bunch of client info on there. Everybody mm. there is using it. It's it, it's fair game. It's within the realm of, of you know, I I have this no an, problem with it. There's an amazing story about uh, Andrew Baggerly being put next to a team suite. Uh, <laughs> oh, in, I think I've heard this one. In the winter meetings. <laughs> and he could hear, hear he could hear them discussing negotiations through his like through his <laughs> closet door. So he like Sorry. wrote a story about what he heard through the through the next door. <laughs> See? It's the same thing. 
And it's like, it's a very, uh, it's a very popular story that's like held in high esteem by most writers. It's uh, one of one of the crazier, funnier things that Bags has done. Oh, that's great. It's just- did I Sorry. dodge Britt's question? What would I do in in the? I first off, I wouldn't recognize Chris Antonetti from Carrot Top. Well, maybe Carrot Top, but uh, I, I don't. I don't know. Like if, if, if someone just dropped a thing, I probably wouldn't even look at it. Like I know in your example, it's like well, you saw what it was. Like you you picked it up, yeah. and just as you were trying to figure out what you picked up, you're like, oh, this is important. Like you just knew right away. My instinct would be to say, hey, you dropped this. Like as I picked it up. But I know it doesn't always work that way. Uh, let's sweeten it then. You go to Starbucks and the Indians had had that table last. They left a whole bunch of papers there <laughs> that were their targets. You don't you don't use that info. You don't read it, Derek. You, you, you give it back it. to the barista, but and, don't and tell me you I didn't read it and also, use it. One thing we're also missing is the heat of the battle sort of feeling you're in. Right. Like, like there's a very different. Like, like, I'm, I'm calm at the coffee shop. Yes, I'm in there. Calm I'm like, and what is this? Oh, okay, this isn't my thing. But like in the heat of the moment, like if I'm if I'm running down the sidewalk at full speed, like I'm finishing up my run, I'm getting my my Scherzer on. You'll and- have no, you'll have looked at it and processed <laughs> some of it before you even knew what you were doing. Like you know, I, 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 like when I played basketball, and I miss it. Uh, COVID took this from me. Urgh. Uh, but when I played basketball, one of the things that happened was I would get this sort of fog of war. Like I would, I would be a different person. I would, I would be out. I was out there to win, you know. Like I was like literally out there to win. And like, yeah, sometimes I would like maybe elbow a guy or like maybe go over the back of somebody to get a rebound or like maybe be a little bit aggressive in in some way that I would never be if we're if I was like playing with my kids or just like bouncing the ball around with some friends, you know, like this was like I'm gonna win. And Kiermeyer coming full steam home scoring against a division rival in an important game is more in the fog of war, you know, sort of place than he is in the like, oh sir, you dropped this. Yeah. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, I I I'm I am clearly a bad human. That's what I've I've decided. <laughs> there he is. See, bad human. No, you're like the you're like the best human in this panel. <laughs> you're the only yeah, one definitely. pushing back at all. <laughs> I, but I'm uh, saying like hypothetically what I think I would do, but I'm also doubting myself to like snap make the right call. Like, because like, when you were talking about Boris, I'm like, well, Boris is kind of a jerk. So I'd be more inclined to be like, well, what's this jerk up to? That, but that the makes other me team is human. always a jerk, dude, if you're yeah. in the middle of the battle. That's my point about Fog of War. Yeah. The other yeah. team is bad. You are good. All that matters is winning. And Eno had a great point in terms of like the Indians example. You take a, They should have just taken a picture of the card and then dropped That's it back what they did the eventually. <laughs> my elaborate scenario on Twitter was that you would, and you would purposefully drop an old card out there, make the team think they found the scouting report, and then just <laughs> annihilate them with your actual scouting report. That would be fantastic that's out the oh. window now see i told you i'm a bad human that's a really that's that's a diabolical it's thing to do <laughs> but maybe it's is that a good human behavior because you're punishing someone who's trying to cheat i don't know i don't, I know. don't know i would I'm gonna, definitely I'm gonna go take an ethics card. class i'm gonna go audit an ethics class in my downtime this winter that's that, that will that'll lead me to some answers uh we need to go i'm just always more willing to like be softer and less judgmental of people who are in this sort of heat of war uh, moment. I don't know if it extends all the way to actual war, but I think it's, it's meaningful because you're in this sort of like killer be killed mentality. And like, 
yeah, later he might have been like, oh, that's he passed it off to the coach because I think at that point he was like, oh, this is a little bit radioactive. Like his his, his prefrontal cortex had started to kick in and be like, oh gosh, uh, everyone just saw me pick this up. Probably I need to I need to pass this along now. Oh, there's also <laughs> there's also the uh, variation of let's say this is a high school game and this happens and you're a high school manager and your your kid that you're managing comes over to you and says, coach, I found this card. Mm-hmm. In a high school scenario, are you immediately giving it back to their team? Or are you saying, well, no, this is a high enough level behavior for young men? I think you. That's what I'm saying. So, like, there's there's something about this being a professional sporting event with money being the main stakes versus a game between children, right? Like, there's yeah. there's a difference there too. So, I <laughs> like, don't know. If, was, if I'm like coaching my kids' team, a bunch of ten year olds running, around, I mean, they wouldn't have a. Sky they wouldn't have a card like that. But I, th- but but like I think travel, like the high school level, ball, yeah, travel ball. travel ball. You get to that. I think you'd want to model good behavior and be like, hey. Also, but there's not as much money at stake. You're like, if yeah. we lose this game, all I, I'm really yeah, trying to do is showcase my kids, right? That's the obvious <laughs> difference. But then there's like some point in your life where you're like, well, now the stakes are high enough where I don't have to abide by these things that I was teaching these kids. Like, that's that's kind of weird, too. So, again, at But then there's ugh. my pickup games where there's no money on the blind, but I really want, I want to win. Yeah, you've, you've tapped into something here. We probably have to, have to talk this one out uh, a bit more, but... Uh, while we figure out why uh, the fog of war messes us up the way it does, check out a subscription to The Athletic, 50% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Maybe a future article on this topic is uh, is merited. Uh, on Twitter, she's at Brit underscore Droli. He is at Unoceris. I'm at Derek Viper. You can drop us an email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. As we've been mentioning for a few weeks, we're gonna, we go live uh, the Tuesday that the playoffs begin, unless there's a game 163. So we will actually kind of step in and do more on that Monday if there are actual games there. So we will kind of, not in our very, very small way, uh, feel the the pain of the beat writers and the traveling secretaries if the season does, in fact, extend by one day. So hopefully it'll be around for that. It's going to be 11.30 Eastern, 8.30 Pacific time. Not specific time, Pacific time, if you mm-hmm. want to catch us live. So for Britt Giroli and Eno Saris, I am Derek Riper. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening.